Insurance Post recently conducted a survey in association with LexisNexis Resolution to get an overview on motor pricing trends and the impact the current economic climate has had on consumer behaviour. The results of this have just been published and printed online at www.postonline.co.uk. But to get deep, but to get a deeper understanding of the findings and trends, I'm delighted to welcome you to the second of a two-part podcast series where I'm joined by Consumer Intelligence Founder and CEO Ian Hughes and LexisNexis Resolutions Senior Director of Personal Lines, Martin Matthews, to discuss some of the themes the research teased out. Welcome both of you. Nice to be back. Martin, can I just ask, um, the research suggests that claims data as part of the data enrichment process is more important for existing customers than new ones, where vehicle data was cited as perhaps a more important source. How can insurers make the most of all this data using technology? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. And again, a really interesting um, dynamic that came out of the um, came out of the research, showing that claims data um, is most important or most readily used at renewal. And we, what we see uh, in, in the work that we do in the insurance market, we, we, we insurers are um, really, really good, fantastic at using uh, data to help drive decisions. Um, but what we see is quite quite often there's a there's a lot more um, access to information or, or information used at, at the point of quotation or the new business stage. Um, rather than renewal, but um, clearly in the current circumstances, we expect this to change. Um, and when I, I did some research internally, and we we found that about uh, insurers were generally using about um, fifteen to twenty percent of the enrichment that, that's available um, to them at new business at the renewal stage. So there's an awful lot more um, that can be done. Uh, and some of that is because of legacy technology, um, and some of that is just because there hasn't always um, been the need to um, to validate information uh, at, at uh, renewal stage because you already have, you know, feel that you have sufficient information about a customer. But now that's going to change. You know, there has to be more work done at renewal stage to make sure that the product that's being offered to the customer is is suitable and that their personal circumstances still dictate that it's the right product. So it's critical that um, insurers, brokers, MGAs that are able to adopt technology that allows them to just enrich products at that point in time. Um, and claims is a very good example. So claims, whilst widely utilised currently, um, it has has the opportunity to do more. There's more that can be done with, with claims data. Um, we're in the process of launching a new a claim service at the moment that will look at the holistic risk of an individual. So across all of their business lines, motorhome, um, and SME risks and so on. And by utilising that data uh, at renewal stage, there's a, a greater granularity of the risk profile, um, which also fits in, in line with the FCA's and guidance on how you should treat customers at renewal. So I think this is this is really, you know, this FCA guidance is the point, is the key point there about treating customers at renewal. I feel like the industry has, it, it's almost fixated itself on acquiring customers and never really worried about keeping them, which by the way, is a crime against humanity. But uh, I think there's a real, really interesting piece that picks up here that says, actually, the R word, the renewal word, is probably the word of the year for the latter part of this year and, and, and into next year. You know, this is absolutely the year of thinking about keeping customers rather than just gaining customers. And it's and it's exactly what the FCA wanted, but it's also what the industry needs and the cons- customers really want. So I think focusing on using data at renewal, focusing on providing those kind of services, I think is good for insurers. What's really interesting, though, is it's good for consumers, and it, which, by the way, is then good for the regulator as well. But let's just come back to the consumer. One of the pieces of research that we've been doing across the course of looking at what's happening in this regulatory world is 
understanding what fair value means, right, which is something that's in the FCA report. And it becomes clear that the fair value is entirely linked to service. And the biggest moment of truth that any insurer ever has is the point of claim. Like that, I mean, the, yes, there's renewal and there's acquisition, those are moments of truth as well, but claims are, are huge. So getting to understand these moments of truth, getting to serve customers at that point is critical. And I think using the data to really dig into those moments of truth to help serve customers better will, I think, also drive great commercial outcomes for businesses and actually, in the end, great regulatory outcomes as well. So, I mean, there has been a lot of discussion about the FCA price review and, it, and the role that aggregators might play in, in, in the new world, so to speak. Interestingly, in the research that we did with LexisNexis, I know over the half the people said that they expect the use of aggregators to go up. I mean, with this in mind, Ian, um, how do you think the way that insu- customers use aggregators will change in the future? Um, <clears throat> so that's, I think it's a really interesting point. It is. So number one is going to change. I'd say that it's not going to be the same three to five years from now. When this report first came out, there was a sort of a general, you know, the world's coming to an end for price aggregate, price comparison sites. Uh, you know, this is this is the end of of, the, of days, basically. But actually what we're seeing, again, in the research that we're seeing from consumers is that the price comparison has an important value for consumers within the fair value process and within the insurance process. So there's absolutely a place for price comparison, helping consumers understand, am I getting good value? Aren't I getting good value? So that's critical. I think the other thing is just because renewal price has to be the same as new business price for an insurer doesn't mean to say that an insurer can't change what it, how it rates. As long as it rates at both new business and renewal, it can change how it rates and and I'm getting older, right? So if I go through a threshold, then my price might increase and then I go back and I want to shop around. Consumers want ease of use. There's definitely a place for, for price. There's definitely a place for comparison in this new world. The question is, and this is really interesting when you look across the world of price comparison, and I mean outside of this country, in places like Germany and in other parts of the world, what we're seeing is value comparison sitting alongside price comparison. And you know, consumers being told, this is the cheapest price option, but here's the best value option. And I think on the same page. And I think that's that might be a really interesting way forward. And that opens all sorts of new doors for the industry to think about great value products, who their customers are, how they surround them with value, and then how they then keep those customers going forward. So I think, what, so the one thing I would say, change, absolutely, but not the end of days. Martin. Yeah, I, I, and it's a really interesting take on it. I, th- I think well, when I um, think about this question, I, I come back to the word trust as well. So I think about um, insurers building trust with customers and one of the ways they can do that is by customers not only having the claims experience that, that Ian's talked about previously, actually, at the, the moment of truth, but trusting the price, uh, you know, of, of the, poly, the, the, the price they're offered at renewal is the right price and that they're getting they're getting a fair value and it's, it's the right policy for them. And I think by building that trust, actually, you could quite easily make a case to say that that would result in, in less shopping. So if you're, you know, you're getting great service from your insurer, you're paying the right price, that naturally would lead you to a place to say, um, actually, then then aggregators will, um, you know, won't, won't be needed in quite the same way. 
Um, however, just to balance that out as well, what, what I do think is that um, the insurance market and aggregators are, you know, experts in creating consumer choice and, and customers do value, uh, largely speaking, and you can see from the numbers, the opportunity to shop around. And it, it's important that people feel that they have choice. So I, I agree with Ian in, in the sense that um, it's not the end of days that, that I think the dynamics with um, aggregators will change. But I come back to consumer choice will will win out as well. Will always be there. People value the opportunity to be able to make an informed decision. But Ian is quite right that the choices that are offered will need to be more tailored to their personal circumstances rather than being which is the cheapest price on the first page of the aggregator. So, so taking on board all of this, and you know, Ian describes it as a, as a seismic change, Martin, how do you think insurers will have to adapt their pricing strategies to remain competitive, you know, in this, you know, this new world? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I, I found it absolutely fascinating that in, in the question set only, I think it was just shy of 15%, so 14.9% of the respondents expected motor pricing to fall. Um, and, and I thought and that was quite interesting because there's a sort of fairly wide, wide held belief, really, that, that um, you know, new business incentives uh, might need to either change or certainly cease in order to ensure that, you know, renewal pricing is is low and remains as uh, and, and is as, as it should be. So I think there's going to be um, there's going to be a period of, I think, instability, really, for maybe perhaps even a couple of years whilst this is worked through. And, and the market grapples with and comes to terms with what those that pricing needs to look like to both remain competitive, but also make sure that the customer is achieving um, the value uh, that, that they they should be. But I, I think the biggest evolution really will be in how um, how the product evolves for the customer as well. So by that, I mean, um, you know, what add ons, for example, are made available to a customer, the suitability of those add ons. Um, and that that those dynamics will change, and I think that's how um, insurers will will have to, uh, and, and brokers in particular, actually, will will, will have to um, adapt. Not not offering something if it's certainly not relevant to that individual's um, circumstances, or certainly not selling it if it's not something that the individual um, can take advantage of. So I think there's a bit of an evolution there, and I think it, personally, I think it'll take a couple of years to filter through. But but what I would say in summary on that is, um, I've witnessed over the sort of 15 years that I've worked with insurance that insurers are very good at adapting when they need to, um, and they're very good at adopting new technologies and data when they need to. So I believe um, that there'll be a huge amount of work going on for the benefit of the customer, uh, and actually, all ultimately, all will be well in the end. I agree. I think that's so I, I agree, but I have a couple of builds on that. So I think one thing that really comes out of this, and again, they've said it again in the last couple of weeks. So I just think it's it's worthwhile pulling through governance, right? So there's the whole piece that sits behind this is it's it's one thing to change your rating structure, but it's actually having good governance in place and govern and, and having a culture in place that delivers good customer outcomes. And you know the, the the criticism you know that sits behind that is the FCA clearly believes that the industry does not have a culture that creates good customer outcomes right now, and so they're calling for better governance around customer outcomes. Uh, and again, I think that's a big call out in terms of the data there. You know, can you prove that you've created good customer outcomes from a governance perspective? And and being able to do that, I think, is is critical and a big change for the industry. And one of the areas, so we've been working in the in the world of fair value 
for nearly eight years now in the banking space. Uh, so we've seen governance changes come through there. You've seen all sorts of things affect you, even things like you know, overdraft charges, all that kind of stuff that you've seen come through, teaser rates, all that kind of stuff have all changed as a result of this. So that stuff will change. But the one other big change that's happened in the banking space that I think we'll begin to see structurally within the insurance space is the concept of customer value management, right? So we, you know, the whole product, uh, product and price, <clears throat> the, the move from price to value, right? and having customer value owners as well as product owners. It's not a phrase that's used within the industry right now, and that's one of the things that sort of scares me about some of the stuff that was in the research. Is the industry is marking its own homework. Right? And this, this is not going to work marking your own homework. There's a change the, the, the FCA is calling for, and the industry needs to make that change. The change will be driven by great data and improved culture. And I think if the industry can make those companies that can use the data to improve culture, create better customer value outcomes, will absolutely not only survive, they will thrive as a result of these changes. So a good image to have there about the insurance industry doing its own marketing, its own homework. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ian. Uh, thank you, Mo. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you, Ian, and thank you, Martin. I'd just like to remind you, if you haven't caught up with part one on this podcast, please do so. And also, also remind you that if you want to catch up with the uh, research itself and the uh, associated articles, then please check them out in print and online at www.postonline.co.uk. Until then, it's goodbye for me. Cheerio, everybody. Mm-hmm.